Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. We're bringing together the best professionals in data from across the Nordics region to discuss gaming industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Heather, and I connect businesses in the gaming industry with talented freelancers. Today, I'm joined by Annabelle, Asko, and Ignacio to discuss ga- data in gaming. Before we delve deeper, deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are now. Annabelle, would you like to kick us off? Uh, yes. Yeah. So my name is Annabelle. I'm the head of data analytics at uh, Paradox Interactive. I've uh, been working here for about a bit more than five years. Um, started kind of working as an analyst in our analytics team, and then started working more with our basically our data engineering part and data platform. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it kind of bit by bit got into uh, into the manager role, basically, which is more heading our different, uh, our analytics and our data platform teams um, here at Paradox and helping our game teams uh, with their data needs. Um, and before that, I worked at Tiana, which is like our a telecom company in Sweden. Uh, so I worked as an analyst there with uh, basically that kind of data. So it's very different from gaming, uh, but uh, interesting in its own way. So yeah, yeah about me. Thank you. Um, Asko, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. So uh, hi, my name is Asko Rellas. I work um, as a data engineer and machine learning engineer at a company called Hype Hype. Um, I have roughly like, 15 years of experience in tech, 10 of those more in the data and machine learning related roles, more in a, in a kind of like an engineering capacity. And uh, the last five years I've been working in gaming. So uh, yeah. That's me in a nutshell. Yeah, and then finally, Ignacio. Hi, so my name is Ignacio, and I am really happy to be talking here about data. It's always fun. Um, I work as lead machine learning engineer at Rovium. Also, same as Annabelle, I started having some team manager responsibilities recently. So that's that's a change also for me. And I have been working here at Rovium for almost four years. And before that, I have a background in math and computer science, and I was working in Spain in a consultant role uh, mostly with insurance and and banking sectors, but but it was quite a change when I moved into mobile gaming because it's a quite different space. So, okay. so that's that's a bit about me. Amazing, thank you very much. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So now that we've established an introduction to each of you, um, let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have a question or subtopic that you'd like to discuss within um, the topic of data in gaming. Um, so as usual, I'll work my, my way around the room, um, asking each of you to pose your question and sort of the reasons behind it. Um, so each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Um, so let's start with Asko. Um, do you mind sort of explaining a little bit about the topic that you'd like to discuss? 
yeah, I thought that um, this would be kind of like a nice ease in and, uh, and a warm-up to just discuss generally what kinds of uses we see for data in, in gaming. And I'm guessing that we'll probably converge at something like it can be used for, for just about anything. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like in, in general, I guess, especially if we're talking about analytical data. So I mean, like tabular data that typically you store in databases and so on, as opposed to freeform uh, structureless data like pictures and, and so on, etc. But like particularly analytical data, I guess, is mostly used for decision making, whether that's to help people make people make better decisions or to make automated decisions by systems. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the way I see it, there are uses in both like product development in like informing the decisions that you do around uh, around your product and its features, or then operating a game. So um, analyzing the impact that your different events may have, or uh, optimizing the content that you publish in your games, uh, especially for like level-based free-to-play games, and. Uh, also, like on the kind of like other side of the equation, we have the marketing budget that, uh, especially again in free-to-play games, um, we want to optimize and, and make sure that we target the correct channels, the correct demographics, and so on. So yeah, I'm just like I'd really like to hear everyone else's like uh, opinion on like where do you use or where do you see that analytical data could be used in uh, in your in gaming in general, I suppose. We we work in very different kinds of games and apps, so it'll be nice to hear everyone's different angle. Yeah, Annabelle, do you want to jump in there? Uh, yes, I mean, I think... Uh, I mean, it, it's like you said, I think it's it's uh, you can use data to, like, just about uh, anything, <laughs> really. Um, and you can, like... I mean, analytical data, even... It has so many use cases for me. It's more about, kind of, what does... Where does that, kind of analysis or like using the data make the most impact like what can it be the most useful sort of thing um and i mean i think there is kind of there is a lot of things like one thing that i think it's kind of the most maybe the most value added use case is kind of understanding uh, making like understanding more like both the players but also understanding like what's happening in the game basically because like that's you you will receive information from like players of course and players will have opinions about their game but like actually using the data will kind of help you understand what is actually happening uh in the game uh it might be used for like validating so you might have a hypothesis of like okay we believe that this is what's happening but we we need kind of data to kind of back up that and for us to actually make a decision because like at the end of the day you're going to make a decision of that information right uh, so I think that's kind of the most valuable uh, use case is to kind of understand what's actually happening, basically. Um, and I think the other one is kind of, I mean, just a more, maybe not as fun, but basically like understanding issues. I mean, it's kind of the same thing, but it's more on like the issue side. So like understanding if someone is not progressing or like if it's like, yeah, understanding where your game is actually not or like the players are not doing what you want them to do in the game because of, I mean, either it's there is a bug or either it's like just the gameplay is not as you intended it to be, basically. So validating that they are actually like doing as you expect them to do. So that I think those are the, the main use cases for, and of course, like we have on the marketing side, there is a lot of like more things you can do on the marketing side. 
as well. So like thinking more on like the, the game side of things. Basically. Yeah. And Adaptio, do you have anything to add there? Well, I think lots of areas have been mentioned already. But one thing I want to maybe mention is that uh, because I work in a central team, so so we are, we have like our own tool that helps games create, you know, like use this data and and do all these kind of things with marketing use cases and and game game segmentation use cases. So so I think inside our own product, data could be used to also you know like so the, all these things we have been mentioning like you know finding issues. So uh, if you have like your own tool with, for example, dashboards, finding like anomalies in dashboards, for example, uh, can be using your own product. But then when you go into the actual games, then each game has subcategories, like for example, game economy or or advertisement. You know, uh, don't, don't, and these areas can be looked like a little bit differently. And at the end, once you go to from one game to another game, it's a completely different world. So <laughs> you have actually, you actually need uh, you join the meeting for the first time with a new game you don't know. And, uh, and for me, I don't understand what they're talking about at first. You need to understand their language, what they're talking about, their game economy. So I think it takes a lot of time until you understand what's going on in a game. And it, it sometimes it, it, so it takes a lot of time in order for like, for example, a person joining this with data background, joining like these games to actually start making an impact. Uh, because even though the themes are the same, then each game is a different product. So it's a bit different, which Maybe maybe I didn't answer the question directly, but I just gave some thoughts there. No, but I think that's uh, interesting. I mean, I I would agree uh, quite a lot because like I think that's where like um, you have to understand the game like basically before you can even start answering questions. You have to understand like basically the game because that's where you can kind of like okay, what are we going to focus on uh, to have in the game because like. The, the data is not necessarily the things that you want to look at are not necessarily there from the beginning so you can't you have to start from the other end of like okay what is the game what is the goal and the purpose of the game basically and what is it that we want to focus on and we can even take it like even uh, like a bit earlier in the whole development life cycle of a game and like going into marketability and so on and what some people do is they just have a, a rough idea of what kind of a game they want to do or what kind of a theme they want to explore they'll maybe do like four different ads, uh, four different variations of ads with different visual styles or different thematics for this game and just put the ad live on Facebook or whatever. There is no game, but just like see which ad gets the most clicks, which ad resonates the best with people, and then kind of use that to steer your decision on what game you want to develop next. And I think it's like, that's quite genius, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, and in this area of marketability, I think also competitor analysis is quite a big thing. So you look a lot into competitors, what they are doing, what has been working out there. And I think there's data there, although getting that data is a bit more tricky because you rely on maybe external external partners and anything that data you don't have it yourself. So, But I think that's also an interesting data. External data sources are interesting input also for these kind of things. I think that was a really interesting uh, topic and a way to be- begin um, the podcast and um, discussing data. Um, Annabelle, you mentioned sort of discussing how to use data in a creative environment um, and how to use, how it can be used um, for the creative process. Do you want to go into that a bit more and and see, you know, just describe what you wanted to talk about there? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it kind of goes into what we already started kind of uh, discussing. It's kind of, I feel like uh, going to this 
creative environment or this creative like business that we are in, which is gaming, it's very different from other working with data in other places. Like I come from telecom and it's, it's, I mean, there is like the data is already there, like kind of, well, when you come into like gaming, it's kind of the, it's a creative product. So that's, that's was kind of my, my, what I wanted to discuss is kind of like okay, what does that mean for us working with data, which is a very kind of black and white thing, right? Or is it a black and white thing? I don't know, but it's basically like one and zeros. And okay, how do you take that and like work with that in a very creative environment where you want to be part of the creative and like the creative process, but how do you do that when you're working with numbers basically? That's, yeah, that's what I wanted to, to see people think about that. Yes, does anyone want to take away? Um, yeah, Asko, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, because like this actually resonates quite quite a lot with me because I do consider games to be kind of like an art form. And then when you try to apply an analytical mindset to an art form, it can kind of clash a little. And so the way I see it is that there are kind of like two different ways that people approach developing games. One is this like very passionate, creative um, this is my vision, this is my baby, and it's kind of hard to, you know, try and ap- apply any or, or like very strict analytical thinking into that kind of a passionate creative process. And then there's the other way of doing games, which is kind of like what I, I mentioned earlier, like you start by collecting data on different ideas, different graphics when you don't even have a game yet. And, and this is kind of like a more analytical, more business-oriented way of developing games. And uh, these are, of course, two extremes, and, and everyone is somewhere in between those. But I kind of feel like you need to adapt the approach to the development method that the company kind of like embraces. Like if, if it's a very artistic way of developing, then you probably are not also gonna like invest a lot in in analytical work either or at least it might get might be a bit of a waste of time and money yeah yeah i think that's a really interesting way to put it like those two ways and i at the end is a spectrum right and i i associate for example the second way of using data as reducing the risk right but i think it's still there's still there's still a place for the first one like you want to be totally innovative then let's ignore the data we want to do be fully creative Go crazy and do this. So I, I see place for both things, but uh, but I think it you can you can have both things also. I think, but but yeah, I mean if you want to create something totally new that is not there, maybe you know like there's no data to support it. But maybe you're right. I don't know. But of course, data data helps a lot to reduce that risk because because you already have like that to support your idea, and and yeah. But I think as as you mentioned, I think it's quite hard sometimes to to collaborate. Uh, because they, they are a creative environment and also because at least when I work in mobile gaming, I usually work more in the later stage when the game is already live. And, and, and then there's as much as you can do because the game is already created, right? So, so you could boost it in some ways, um, create some segmentation, personalize the game. But uh, I mean, if the game is good, then you have a lot of work already done, right? So. So in order to influence it, that earlier stage where the game is being created, uh, personally, I have not worked in that area that much. And I think it's quite hard. Uh, at least I don't have any secret recipe for that. <laughs> did, did you have any take on that, Annabelle, before we move uh, on? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I was just thinking like, but I think, yeah, 
I mean, I think I agree. Like it's, uh, and it's, it's interesting because even like with, I see like working with mobile games, it's you, you, I, I like myself, I don't work with mobile games. So like I see that as like, oh, obviously you're working more with data, but it's interesting that you have the same kind of view on it, that like, it's still a very creative process and like what you can do, like maybe you, you jump in later at the stage where like there's already a game like there's like the creative process of making something from like innovative and something that that's that process is already done and you come in a bit later at the stage where you can actually like start optimizing okay how do we take this great product make it even greater or like where can we help you to like uh, what are the areas that you need help with that might be also different from like okay you have a great product but you might want to optimize this part of the game or you want to like want to do this so that's uh very interesting and i think i also think it's um in my opinion like work like what we're just describing it also kind of for me that's the creative part working with data it's kind of like okay how do i uh how do i try to be uh kind of uh, innovative in what i do how we work with data because it's easy to just say like Yes, yes, look at data, make insights and stuff like that. But it's also, you have to be kind of creative in where can I be of most use? What, where can I look at for at this product? I mean, not, not for gaming, but also other products. Like, where can I make uh, a good analysis that will help this product, basically? So I do feel like there is a lot of creative in working with data, but that's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess like in, in, in mobile, I guess that stage typically starts when you go into soft launch and uh, that's when you start getting data in and seeing how people, act, you know, how, how they respond to your game. And that's when you can start A-B testing different kinds of, uh, I don't know, different kinds of meta in the game or different offers, different monetization strategies and, and whatnot. So I, I feel like, you know, the, the job of a data analyst kind of maybe starts once the core loop and the meta in, in mobile in particular um, is in and then you can like start honing it towards something that is like, you know, um, a bit bigger and uh, yeah, more polished. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way it's natural because it's when either there's a start, there starts to be a big volume of data that you can play with and and you can use. And in the earlier stages when the game is being created, the data that you have is really few. So, so, so maybe finding impact there, it's harder. And I think in that sense, like getting involved. So I, I see value maybe of data people getting involved early on to create like game features that use data, but, but it's more, it's riskier in my opinion. And also it's more of a process and people's problem rather than a technological problem. Like how to, you know, these processes are already exist and usually they, they don't use data craft people. So how do we embed? people in those processes i think that's a i mean that's a, a hard question but it's not a data or technology question to solve but, and, and and each team may have their different answer so for what works for one team may not work for the other team but but i think this goes maybe maybe in the future with we, we in gaming like there's like there starts to be data people involved in earlier phases more often or i hope so yeah i mean i think it does i i do think that's very important even if you're not like giving input into the, the 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 game but i think it's still important to be involved early so you understand basically that process like you understand what it takes to like the, what the, the game team is working on during that time 
And then when you can actually start working with the data, then you're kind of, you're already in the, the know of like, okay, what is important? What is it that we should focus on and stuff like that? I feel that it's very, it should be very important for us to be involved, even if we're not like the most valuable at that point, but like basically just to understand the, 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 the product a bit more and like, okay, uh, how can we help when we actually have the tools to actually start helping? Yeah, that was a really interesting insight. Um, to, you know, making sure that you're using data, you know, how to use it differently in the gaming industry. Um, that was, that was really insightful. And to move on to Ignatio, um, ways of working you wanted to speak about. Um, so working with data sort of with a central team versus working with data inside the, like a gaming team. Um, do you want to discuss that a little bit further? Yeah. Yeah. I think some of these topics have already been touched. Uh, like for example, where to find the most impactful thing to work on, right? So I think, unfortunately, or I, at least I haven't seen it. Like we don't have like this list that there's like this is prioritized list that this is the thing you should focus on and you should take the first one and this is what is gonna bring value. I haven't seen that list. So I think that that for me it's really important part of the process of of how do we work in the most impactful thing we can do right now, and and then. We are, as we mentioned before, we have so many areas, so many things we could be doing. So I find this question really hard to answer. And how do we come up with this prioritized list of things we could start doing? And then the second part is which process can help us bring the most value. So, so we need that list that is prioritized of the projects we have to take on. Then we need to make sure that people understand we are going to fail sometimes because these data projects, sometimes there's like, there's some uncertain things along the way. And then sometimes you don't succeed, but then you learn something along the way. Uh, and then how do you communicate that? And also how do you how do you talk with the games and also with the other with the other units about about we're gonna do this? Do you agree? Do you see the impact? And then so you actually take that into production or into something useful. It could be like an ML model into production, it could be a dashboard. And and then what happens afterwards? So you have delivered value. So what happens afterwards, because you may end up with lots of dashboards that no one sees and uses and they are not actionable or lots of models that they maybe have have lived enough and should be should be taken away. So so how do we how do we take, treat these data pro products as a life cycle in a good way? So that that's maybe what I want to hear about what others think, because I think it's I find it really hard, to be honest. I agree. It's it's definitely hard. And and I think it's even made harder if and when you're working in a in a central team that serves, let's say, five different studios, which is kind of like the 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 way of operating at, at Trovio, for instance. Um, and there are different types of data products, of course. So I'm I'm I personally categorize them into like dashboards, or uh, statistical or ML models, or then just like plain data sets. And the life cycles of these are, are kind of different. Um, dashboards. Some tooling allows you to like very easily see how many times this dashboard has been viewed during the last 30 days or however many days. And if it gets zero views, then just you know take it out. And if someone someone um, comes back to you saying why is my dashboard not there anymore, then you can you know, take it back. But that's like one way of reducing the technical or, or the maintenance load, I guess, uh, of of a data team. Models are kind of more difficult. I guess you could have a model registry, which kind of like keeps a log of how many times this model has been accessed. But then again, that doesn't really tell if it's used for anything useful. It's just used. 
and and data sets are even harder i think because it's a you know it's a table on some data lake or a, or a database so in order to keep track of its life cycle and if it's still useful or valuable you would kind of like need to put together some kinds of access logs and and try to see which tables which data sets are actually used and which ones are not and that gets pretty hairy and and i, I haven't seen anyone do that yet so maybe someone does but i haven't at least so uh, I agree that it's definitely a hard problem and kind of like people should try to keep their maintenance load uh, as, as low as possible. And, you know, retiring data products that are no longer used or not giving value is is a big part of that. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I'm not sure if I have some, like anything more to add. Just, I feel like that's the, the struggle, right? That's the day-to-day of what we do, like that's part of the the role working with data and analytics is kind of like uh, like you we will have stuff that is not used. You will have and then like also kind of having that uh, kind of trade off of okay trying to keep something uh, uh, maintaining stuff that you don't really know what the value is versus like actually making new stuff that you know like if we just get time to do this like, that will have so much impact on this. But we can't do it because we're maintaining uh, old stuff. So that's really difficult, uh, and I think you just have to try to make time on it. I think that's the part like that is difficult, like as going to the business and saying like, we need to prioritize just going through this and like just removing stuff and looking at what is actually being used and like this is not being used and like you say removing stuff and then waiting for people to to come by and like oh I don't have my data anymore where did it go basically so. I don't really have a good answer for it. For that, I guess documentation is really good, um, but also you have to keep the documentation up to date, and that's also a bit of a difficult thing to do. So, sure, I kind of feel like the overall like organizational structure also plays a part in here because if you're a very like uh, if you're a small team that is responsible for a certain whole, then it's kind of like easy to be aware of what can be phased out and what is still used. But if you're a larger organization, if you're a central team that is providing stuff to seven different teams, it kind of like gets harder and harder to uh, keep track of what is actually used. And, and and then on top of that, you add some like uh, hierarchical, you know, managerial layers and, and all sorts of fun kind of like communication patterns or anti-patterns. Uh, it gets even even harder. So yeah, I kind of feel like having a as flat and as small team and, and structure would probably help here. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah, well, and I think you're right. When you have like a central team, like we do, it's harder, harder problem to solve. Uh, but I think I think one of the maybe key ingredients here is to leverage like the PM's craft. So product managers need to play an important role in there. In order to capture requirements, to fo- in, to decide what to focus, so there needs to be like some product management craft in that central team that manages that and let the data team focused on the problem. So at least the data the data craft does not need to focus on that on that you know fully. So they they have help from that other PMs. Uh, so I think that that maybe could be one solution, but but it, it's for sure harder. On the other side, I mean you get maybe needs from different games and studios. And then when you create a solution, then the impact also multiplies. So in that sense, it has this downside of being harder, but then the impact you can create also also adds up. So so that's also something. And about the about the data sets, I, I actually agree that they, with the data sets, it's quite hard to, to know like 
what we could improve. Like there are like some things like data catalogs, like to document the data sets and, and some things that could be improved, but how to monitor this data set is not used anymore. That can be done, but is which value is providing because at the end, the value is in some dashboard. So you need some lineage tracking for that to see where the data comes from. But at the end, how do you put that in money terms? It's quite hard. I mean, I, I haven't seen that yet. Like, you know, like this table is not providing enough money for the business. Let's kill it. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, luckily storage is pretty cheap. And then, Asko, I wanted to come back to you because you had a couple of topics um, that will be quite interesting to discuss. Um, so you mentioned discussing sort of the common misconceptions of data in the gaming industry. Um, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, kind of like... Um... Since I, I mean, I guess many of us kind of like come from other industries originally rather than gaming. And I think in many like conventional, traditional industries like banking or finance or, or whatnot, this has been uh, around for a long time. And, you know, uh, people have used analytical data to mitigate risks in insurances for who knows how long. Um, and then gaming is kind of a bit, bit of a newer industry. And I kind of feel like the work is not always kind of like understood like what does a data analyst do what does a data engineer do what's the difference between a data scientist and a data analyst how about a bi engineer what are all these things and i guess we're not really making things easier for for others either by by having such like different titles and uh, and, and and roles and responsibilities but i don't know um have you kind of like felt that the data craft in general is kind of like maybe a bit in an early early phase of its life cycle in the gaming industry, if you will. Does does anyone feel like that at all? Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, to some extent, yes. Uh, but to some extent, I, I don't know. I think the, the, I think the thing is that I feel like now, especially now, people understand the use of like, oh, you can use data for so many things and you can use it to i mean i don't think people in general they know you can do a lot of things that they know that you can like you get a lot of questions basically like people want to know stuff and they want to like oh can we do this can we find out like uh, estimation on, on this and that and, and stuff like that and and i feel like people are very curious about working with data uh but i think what and that's part of our job i guess it's kind of like, okay, how how do we do this? I think that's the part where like uh, maybe the, the misconceptions is not like how you can use data or w what, what questions to ask. It's more of like, okay, now you have the question, how do we go about and actually answering that? And like what skill sets do we need to, yeah, we need to get the data first, which like that means you have to have data engineers and then uh, you need to visualize some data to understand what's actually happening. They have like descriptive, information then yeah then we need to work more on like the bi side and have uh bi people and then okay once you know that then you want to dig deeper into like okay i want to understand this in a by like either having models or like having ways of like uh, finding that deeper insights and you might need data scientists and stuff like that and i think that's the part where like oh but i just want to know my data i just want to have my data set basically and people just feel like uh, that shouldn't be so difficult, right? But us working with data, I think we we know that it's far more difficult, uh, 
like getting an answer and actually getting the, the or getting the question and getting the answer like that it's not like a, a one day thing it's it in some case it might take months for you to actually be able to come back with uh, the answer to the question that you got basically so yeah um yeah yeah i agree I, and i agree with the with the struggle of the getting people to understand what we do like for example my my grandmother is always telling me why don't why don't you work in a bank are you all the time playing with those angry birds so so it's like she thinks i mean i, I don't know i think i tried to explain her a couple of times but i still think she doesn't know what a machine learning engineer does but i cannot blame her because uh, because a lot of people don't know that so so yeah i think it's an important question and i could actually my personal experience coming from banking and insurance i actually felt that it's actually more mature like mobile gaming like in, in a sense that that the the actual infrastructure is more mature because it's easier to create because in a bank or in insurance there are so many systems going on because they are old companies and and also the end, the end product is not technical so a game is quite technical so it's not as hard to put you know events and lock things because at the end like the people that are building the product are engineers so so i think it's a bit easier to build like a data warehouse data lake than in for example a bank which those projects take years right so so in that sense i think it's easier to get quickly something mature in mobile gaming but what is maybe not as mature is the use cases because it's, it's such a junk industry that the, the use cases are not as clearly defined as in finance or or insurance that you know like the, the questions are clear so so maybe it's a bit harder to come up with the right questions in gaming but i think it's easier to have like a really nice data infrastructure also because new games if you especially if you start with a new game then you know like you can start from a kiss slate that's quite nice right yeah definitely compared to a bank who started 50 years ago <laughs> we have a, a bit of a advantage in terms of which technologies we can start with i think it's also kind of like from my experience it's easier to change stuff like it's still difficult but like if you want to change something in the infrastructure, you can still do it. Like, I mean, from my experience, like if working at bigger companies, that's three, five years projects to do something that you, oh, I want to use a new tool. And it's kind of like, you have to go through the process of like, yeah, getting it approved. And then like, okay, what do we do with this data and moving the data over? Stuff like that. And I feel like it's much easier in the gaming, like working with gaming because you have, um, you can do it much faster and, and, or at least in my opinion, like it's it's a bit easier in that sense. So you can cannot keep up also uh, with like uh, the tools that you use, or like if you want to have a like better database, you can. You know, it's a bit easier. It's not like super simple, but it's it's easier than uh, from my experience working with bigger, more established uh, uh, businesses. Basically, yeah, I think that was um, really interesting to hear you know, what, because I, I obviously don't work in data, but to hear sort of more about what you guys do and the sort of conceptions that people have of it before entering um, data and in the gaming industry. Um, another thing you mentioned sort of talking about ASCO was if um, everyone could have a role um, or the, a project that they would like to work on, sort of their dream project, if it could be anything. Um, do you want to? Do you want to ask the question? For sure, yeah. Um, it kind of, I guess, it varies by by week or by month. But right now, if I 
if I could, I would really like to. This goes a bit more into the uh, like a ML side of things rather than analytical data, but um, it would be nice to build like a, a game, uh, more like a simulation where you have uh, non-player characters who are driven by um, like capable of discussing in using large language models and uh, interacting with their environment using some. Um, like I don't know evolutionary strategies or or whatnot to accomplish some goals, and then you could, um, as a player, go into this kind of a large world full of procedurally created uh, characters and, and other players with you with whom you can interact and just like see where that goes. And uh, I'm sure something something quite interesting and crazy would come out of that. Yes, I well, I one comment because I actually today discovered this game about Gandalf that knows a password and you need to trick him into telling you the password and then we have seven levels so each time like you know it's harder to get the large language model to tell you the password so so there are there are already games built with this technology and uh, it was just funny that i just found this today and it, it was actually fun to play but i suck i suck i mean i didn't really got many passwords but but yeah but but i think yeah as i think i agree with asko that this quest this answer varies per per week or per month but but i think I'm quite happy with the personalization area with games because I, I personally I'm happy working with different games because I, I like to see and I'm really surprised to see how people different teams approach problems differently and how they build different things. So I kind of like to be in this central point of view that you have you can see what others are doing and can try to put solutions for them. But but this generative AI area is something that definitely gets my interest and I think it maybe can can also help this thing we were talking before to get us introduced in the creation phase, right? Because if it's easier to create 3D assets, if it's easy to create NPCs, if it's, well, non-playable characters, if it's easy to create all those things, maybe it's, you know, it can be like our way in, in the in the early stages of development. So so I think that that area also interests me a lot, but, but I, I think maybe we are still early days there, but let's see where that goes. Yeah, yeah I think, I mean, it's the same thing. Here, I think it's that's going to be interesting to see how that develops <laughs> uh, and see how we can like how that impacts us uh, as well. Uh, because I feel like that that's the difficult part of uh, understanding how that impacts our work basically and and basically also um, yeah I mean how how that impacts it's it's a bit I'm just having a bit difficult really seeing it like okay how what does this mean and like are, are we going to be I guess it's also two parts of like, are we going to be more involved or is it going to be like, I guess the, the fear of AI is like, are we even needed basically? <laughs> so that's the, the, the part, but I hopefully we're going to be more and more involved and, and uh, be able to, um, to work more with those kind of, of tooling uh, for the game. That would be really, really nice and interesting and fun, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry. Go on, Aska. Uh, and so, since uh, since Highpipe is a user-generated content platform, effectively, and it's a 3D engine, so it's quite interesting for us to see if and when like good text to 3D uh, models emerge. Just like a, a couple of months ago, I guess, or maybe a bit more, a dataset called Objiverse was released. It has 700,000 textured meshes and a text description of what that is. It's like, I don't know if 700,000 samples is enough, but it sounds to me kind of like the image net of, of like 3D meshes. And maybe that'll be a starting point for these text to 3D models. And 
I haven't seen one yet, but I'm just like, I'm Googling it every week to see if anyone comes up with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think as another mention, I think, yeah, there's also like a fear around this area. So it's like, I mean, it, there's like some, some discussion and I think we need to also take it seriously in the, in the privacy area and legal area. Right. So especially in companies, I mean, there's like these things that we need to look and be careful in there. And, and also like there's some concern in the world right now around this area and and we need to maybe also be careful about where do we put this and where we don't put this because at the end we launch a game and it's a bit out of our control and if we put it in the places we shouldn't put it then then it's a bit nasty so so it's but it's it's a bit like everything like technology advances really fast so we maybe as data professionals need to think before the laws come to try to solve these issues or at least prepare for them yeah, and I think, I mean, for me, that's uh, like something that I really interested in because I feel like there's, um, I think that's where there will be a challenge for us. Uh, but I, in my opinion, fun challenge is to say that, okay, how can we take uh, account for that? Like basically privacy concerns and stuff like that. I mean, we know, we know about like how to use the data. And like, I think we can be very good at kind of, okay, finding ways of, um, like taking the privacy concerns into account, but also kind of still provide value of that um, of that technology, basically. So that's going to be also something that is going to be very interesting to see how that develops and our role in it. I think it's like you said, it's very important for us to like be thinking about this stuff already now and uh, try to be kind of okay ahead of 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 that and and, and making sure that we are making our part and taking this very seriously, basically. So is that sort of the way that you see, you know, the role of data going for game development in the future? Do you think it will have to work alongside AI? Yeah, I I think definitely it has. It's part of the future. Uh, Also, I think how things are going. So these large language models, they come from a couple big companies, right? Not everyone has the model to train those. So I also see like they're relying on, on vendors, right? You need to partner with someone. It's not we're not gonna build those modeling house. That's a fact. Uh, we we so we we need to pick the right vendors for this, and and it's at still early, early, early time. So it's a bit risky to get vendor locking. <laughs> but 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 let's see. I mean, there's a lot of new companies coming up now on this area. Uh, but but I think in this area, it's gonna be a lot about picking the right partners for your business. Yeah, luckily we are going towards a more open uh, direction. So companies like um, Databricks published their own large language model, and uh, what was the other one? Stable LM was pretty recent as well. So these are fully open in terms of like the data set and the source code, the model weights, and so on. Everything is openly available. So and and uh, permissively licensed. So that's quite nice. So we're kind of like, or the the community is, you know pushing back against the big tech in, in this front, I guess. Amazing. That was that was really interesting because, you know, the, with AI, you know, showing how powerful it can be, um, it's interesting to see how many areas it will um, go into and how many areas it will start to not necessarily take over, but be used as a tool. Um, so thank you for that. Um, just before I close, I just want to make sure, did we manage to cover everyone's topics? Ignacio, did we manage to cover all the topics you wanted to ask? Yeah, yeah, I think I think we, we talked about lots of things, so, so definitely yeah. I learned lots of cool stuff today. Fantastic. Um, I think that's a really nice um, 
way to end the podcast today. Um, so I'd like to say thank you so much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts. They've been Annabelle, Ignacio and Asco. Um, if you wish to participate in a future podcast or would like to discuss how we can help you find the perfect next addition to your team, please contact me on LinkedIn. Thank you again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.